Welcome back. You're listening to the DeCesare Group Podcast. I'm Jim DeCesare, and I'm glad you're here. Our guest this week is our first returning guest, my good friend Greg Coker. He's an expert in leadership development, but today we're going to discuss being the best version of ourselves. You're going to like this conversation. Hey, if you've not subscribed to our newsletter, Soka Economic Development and Business News, do so today. Subscribe at thedeCesareGroup.com and like and follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The DeCesare Group is a full-service business consulting development and public relations firm. Our mission is simple, to provide business solutions and strategies to entrepreneurs and businesses so they can succeed and grow. So Greg and I sat down recently and discussed the flow state, stress management, and how we can become the best versions of ourselves. Here's my conversation with Greg Coker. Welcome back, Greg Coker. You know what? I was thinking about this. You're my first repeat guest on the DeCesare Group podcast. So you're kind of like my Bob Hope to Johnny Carson. <laughs> I'm, I'm honored. Bob I'm Hope honored. was on Johnny Carson's show more than any other guest. I love Bob Hope. Yeah. There's probably a lot of people listening to this, including our engineer that doesn't know who either one of those people are. Johnny Carson, Bob Hope, and... Ed and McMahon. Ed McMahon, and, and my favorite... Doc Severinsen. Doc. I remember my, my favorite Johnny Carson story, and it's, I think it's very relevant what we're going to talk about today, is the flow state. And, and a lot of folks will ask me about speaking, public speaking. Do you get nervous? And I'm like, heck yeah, I get nervous. Yeah. I mean, I wear white shirts very frequently or shirts that don't show perspiration because I'm, I'm nervous. Right. Johnny Carson used to say that almost every time before they would announce, here's Johnny, he had thrown up at least once. And he used that nervous energy to be able to jump out there and be excited for his topic. So Johnny Carson taught all of us a lot about that presence he had on the stage, mm-hmm. but also using that nervous energy that we all have to be excited about our topic. Yep. And um, I had a band director once who told me I, I, he, I was shaking like a leaf, and it was the first time we were doing a, a jazz ensemble in high school. And he, he said, you nervous, Jim? And I said, yeah, I'm nervous. He goes, good. I go, well, good. He goes, if you aren't nervous, you don't care. Mm. And I always took that to heart. So anytime I'm performing, um, I, I'm a little shaky. And if you remember, Johnny Carson always had a pencil in his hand. He was always tapping that pencil. Interesting. He, he was a drummer, but that was his nervous energy. Wow. Johnny Carson's a drummer, in case you didn't know that. Well, well, I have a friend that's a former fighter pilot. And he calls it a nervous pee because before you go into any type of event or go have an outpatient surgery or whatever, you're like, oh, my gosh, I just used the bathroom a couple minutes ago. We got to go again. What he was telling me is before he would fly, that was what he called a nervous pee. Getting it out of his system. Get him out of his system. So you're going to have to realize that you're going to be nervous. You're going to be excited about your topic. Uh, It's okay. Well, well, we got a good topic today. We're going to talk about the flow state. So uh, tell us a little bit how the flow state contributes to our ability to perform at our best. The flow state, Jim, and those And you folks, might want to define it, too. Well, exactly. Well, we, we know what the flow state is. I, I think most of us do by maybe a different name. Athletes call it uh, in the zone. Uh, you're a musician, and you and I have talked about being in the pocket. In the pocket. In the pocket. I'd never heard of in the pocket, but jazz musicians and, and, and most music, musicians like you – 
uh, know that that it's in the uh, it's in the pocket. Huey Lewis, one of my favorite performers back in the '80s, had a song called "I Want a New Drug," mm-hmm. and the drug he was talking about wasn't a traditional drug that we think about. He was talking about love. Yeah. And, and we have that that access to, I want a new drug. Well, guess what? I've got about five drugs that are popping every day, and they only pop all five at the same time as when we're in the flow state. In the flow state, the definition is the optimal state of mind when we perform our best and we feel our best. And athletes call it in the zone. I mean, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, I've heard Michael Jordan say, you know, sometimes, um, you know, during the Bulls game, the basketball rim seemed as big as this room, Tiger Woods. And I've, I'm a former golfer, recovering golfer, play a little bit now, don't play as much as I used to. But but there were times where the hole just seemed bigger than it actually was. Mm-hmm. And that's in the zone, that's in the pocket. And there was a gentleman by McHolly Chick sent me high. Who? McHolly Chick sent me high. And phonetically, his last name sounds like Chick Sent Me High, if Chick you can remember. But high. you don't have to remember that. If you Google the flow state, when you Google the flow state, several YouTube videos will come up. And there's tons of information out there. But the flow state is what Huey Lewis was talking about. It's what you talk about in the pocket. It's what athletes talk about in the zone. And this guy named McHolly Chick Sent Me High uh, is a psychologist. He was inspired by Carl Jung, and Carl Jung uh, was the founder of the Myers-Briggs type right. indicator, or at least started the, the genesis of it before Elizabeth Myers-Briggs and other ones uh, came along. But, but Mikhail uh, Csikszentmihalyi is Hungarian, came over to the United States, couldn't speak a bit of English, goes to the University of Chicago after he read American comic books and learned how to speak English and, and read English went to the University of Chicago and started studying happy people because there were so many people that were studying psychosis. Uh, Macaulay Csikszentmihalyi wanted to uh, study people like Jim DeSesri and Greg Coker and other folks that what makes them so happy all the time. So he started studying these happy people. And then the happy people started talking about the optimal state of mind when they perform their best and feel their best. Then he started interviewing... um, uh, these athletes, these adventure athletes, the surfers, the mountain climbers, yeah. who up to then, everybody just thought they were, you know, iguana owners, dope smokers or whatever, and they were the scum of the earth. And a lot of them had a lot of tough background. But they were breaking all of these records on the highest wave surf, the biggest mountain, doing these mountain bikes. So he started st- studying these folks and, and interviewing these folks. And they all described Jim was when they describe this state of emotion is it's just like performance flows out of my body. Mm-hmm. And so he started doing more research on the flow state. And that is the definition of flow is the optimal state of mind when you perform your best and you feel your best. So did did he come up with the term flow state? He pretty much did because uh, other people were describing it's It's like performance was just flowing out of me. And based on his research, and now that we've got all of this technology to hook up uh, electrodes to the brain, we now can understand what's happening. And and what's basically happening is there are a lot of natural drugs that the endorphins, uh, the nitric uh, oxi- uh, nitric acid, you know, oxide uh, that that are just all these natural drugs. 
Again, Huey Lewis said, I want a new drug. Well, I want a new drug. Well, guess what? I don't need to be doing the traditional drugs. I need to be getting in touch with what makes me get in the flow state. In this Macaulay Csikszentmihalyi and future uh, research with fighter pilots on taking naps, and I'll go into the steps of getting the flow state a little bit later on, but the bottom line, if the listeners today get nothing else out of this podcast, is we have the ability to get in the flow state every day if we just recognize how to do it. That's it's pretty awesome stuff. It's kind of like uh, you know when I go out and run, I get that runner's high. Exactly. I mean, I, you know, feeling great. So stress management. Let's talk about it. It's cr- it's a critical aspect of modern life. And in your experience, how does achieving and maintaining a flow state influence our capacity to effectively manage and reduce stress? Well, we all have stress. Yeah. I mean, my wife's a registered nurse, and and I'll never forget when she was in nursing school here at Western Kentucky University, and then she attended a couple other universities, and we traveled around and moved. There was one professor, before they went into a psychiatric hospital, stopped all the nursing students cold in their track and said, let's get one thing straight. Before we walk into this institution, there's a lot of things that separate the people you're going to see today and us. But the major thing is we cope and they don't. And we're all stressed out. One of my favorite sayings is broken crayons still color. We're We're all broken. I'm broken. I'm stressed out. But guess what? You manage it. I manage it. And Aristotle and Plato... Uh, they talked about stress. They called folks like Jim, you and me, and the listeners out there well-ordered souls. Well-ordered souls. And then the recent research on stress and the definition of stress is the rate of wear and tear on the body and the mind. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And there's lots of research. Uh, Shakespeare. You know, Shakespeare said things are neither good or bad. Thinking makes them so. There's a lot of it between our ears, between our mind of what we're telling ourselves. But this guy named Dr. Raymond Flannery, he wrote a book called Stress-Resistant People. And uh, he he covers seven characteristics of people like Jim DeCesare, Greg Coker, and the folks on his podcast. Number one, they take personal control. Mm -hmm. They're empowered versus overpowered. You know, we get back up on the horse uh, after I had to leave corporate America, I mean, I tell folks I was hired by a great leader and fired by a great manager. I had to get back on the horse. And a lot of folks, we used to work for uh, the telephone company, and, and that was my first corporate job. And the one thing we tried our best to get folks to understand is do not make your identity the identity of the company. Because something happens in this company where you have to leave. You want to leave. You don't want to be in a bar for the rest of your life depressed because your identity just left you. Right. You're committed to the organization, but your identity is you of what you provide. So number one is they take personal control. They're empowered versus overpowered. Number two is they're Mm purpose-driven. They have a purpose. They have a why that Simon Sinek talks about. Number three is they have wise lifestyle choices and strive to be at their personal best. You know, you run, Jim. You've been an inspiration for me at 59 years old. I'm trying to be better. Um, I went out this morning and and 
for 10 minutes, looked at the sun, you know, the circadian rhythm. Yeah. I'm starting to get more in touch with my body. So number one, they take personal control. Number two is they're purpose-driven. Number three is they make wise lifestyle choices. Number four is they seek social support. And I ask folks out there, how many have a McDonald's or a Hardee's in their hometown where there's about 37 old people drinking coffee and eating sausage and biscuits? And between 37 of them, they probably don't spend $4 because they all have coupons. <laughs> That's my mom in Franklin, Kentucky right now. She'll live a long age because of her social contacts. And I think women are better than men at this. Women keep their social contacts better than men do. My challenge to everybody, men and women, is get your friends, keep your friends. Even at a young age, it gets tougher with kids to keep those friends active. So number one, take personal control. Number two, purpose-driven. Number three, they make wise lifestyle choices. Number four is they seek social support. you got to keep your friends and family close to you. Number five is they have a sense of humor. Because when we laugh, like we're laughing right now, those endorphins release. Uh, number six is they have religious values. This is not a religious presentation. Dartmouth, Harvard, MIT have all done studies. People who pray are sick less often. Folks go to church, get to the hospital quicker. And then number seven, lastly but not leastly, optimism. Yeah. And how many folks had grandparents like I did that said, this too shall pass? Oh, yeah. And those are the seven. Those are the seven that Dr. Raymond Flannery talked about on stress resistance. That's pretty cool stuff. And, um, you know, we all want to be the best versions of ourselves. So so how does tapping into the flow state play a role in personal growth and development? And what practical steps can our listeners take to cultivate this state? Great question. Great question. We'll go back to the flow state. The flow okay. state, we talked about stress. The definition of stress is the rate of wear and tear on our body and our mind. Uh, we're all stressed out. There's ways that, that we can become less stressful or manage that stress. And I just gave you the seven things that... Dr. Raymond Flannery gave me and the stress-resistant people, uh, the flow state, uh, the definition of flow state, the optimal state of mind when you perform your best and feel your best. Macaulay Csikszentmihalyi did a lot of research, and he came up with a flow cycle. And there are four steps to the flow cycle. And this is profound for me, especially the second phase. Okay. The, the first is the struggle. The struggle is you know, when you've got to do something that is tough, but it's not so overwhelming that stresses out too much. And in the, the model he gave here is um, on one axis, you have the challenge. On the other axis, you have the skill. If the challenge is way too much for you and your skill is not enough, that's anxiety. That's not flow. That's being overwhelmed. And then if your skill is way too good and the challenge is not enough, that's boredom. That's not flow. What he suggests is right there in the middle, it's about 4%. So in sports, um, I've got a close friend that's a great tennis player. He and I played tennis together quite a bit in school. He's more than 4% better than me. He's about 20% better than me. I don't need to be playing with him. Mm. It, it overwhelms me. I love him, but I leave there. Not everyone want to play tennis again. The ideal person I want to play tennis with is a friend of mine who is about 4 to 7% better than me. So that keeps me going, but not so overwhelming. So how does this relate to education? Because I work with a lot of school systems. When a new teacher comes in, when she graduates, he graduates from the local university, they have their teaching degree, our natural tendency is to put that new teacher with guess who? The best teacher we have. That's based on this research is no, you're overwhelming them. Put them with a really good teacher, but about 7 to 10% maybe better than that teacher is. So the first stage is the struggle. we got to struggle. 
The second stage is the release. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to come back to the second stage to tell you the third stage is the flow. The third stage is where we start clicking. Guess what? The second stage will never get to flow unless we go through the release. The release is where we walk away from the problem and take a nap. Or we walk away from the problem, we go for a run. Yeah. We walk away from the problem, we, we take a shower, we go for a walk. But guess what? Our corporate cultures usually do not have systems in place where they allow. Matter of fact, you'll get fired for releasing very often. Because if I'm in my office taking a nap, and I'm not suggesting people out there take a nap in their office, but I'm suggesting maybe you go for a walk for five or 10 minutes or 20 minutes, or maybe you as a leader, as a manager, are not so focused on a warm bun and seat and not questioning why has Greg Coker not been here for 30 or 40 minutes? Well, Greg Coker's releasing. He's out there walking around because guess what? And you know it as a musician, Beatles wrote a lot of their songs when they were sleeping. They woke up last night. I've got my cell phone by my nightstand. I try not to look at it before I go to bed, which is another thing, and I don't look at it when I first wake up. But in the middle of the night, I woke up last night, and when I woke up to take a leak or do whatever and I did, I started thinking about a couple things that I need to talk about today. Yeah. I texted myself. I couldn't do that when I was in the struggle. It took me releasing. So the first stage is the struggle. The second stage is the release. The third stage is where we start flowing. Mm-hmm. And when we start flowing, that's when these chemicals start t- dumping. You know, the serotonin, all these great dopamines, uh, all, the, all these drugs start flowing. And then lastly is the recovery. Because you know, Jim, I've seen you in the flow when I've watched you play. You will have a flow hangover because you're so into it. You've got to allow yourself on the weekend to do nothing. Do not go back to work on the weekend. You've got to recover because when those drugs are releasing from you, those natural drugs, you'll be so worn out that you will want you will not be able to get in the flow state the following day if you don't release. Mm-hmm. So you or then you don't recover. So struggle, release, flow, recovery. Wow. I mean, thank goodness for Macaulay Chick sent me high and the research he's doing right now. Wild stuff. Macaulay Chick sent me high. <laughs> you got uh, it. You know, but on the release real quick, I mean, I think most everybody has done this at some point in their time and, and maybe do it all the time. You, you're you're presented a, a task that you just can't get your head around. And so you, you walk away from it for a bit. And then, you know, all of a sudden some clicks. You go, Ooh. Mm. And then you get in the flow. And, uh, and so I do that a lot, you know, someone will, I'll be talking with someone. I'll say, well, let me, let me gnaw on this for a little while and I'll get back with you. I'm just going to kind of let it go. And something will, something will eventually come to mind to solve that particular problem. And it happens a lot. Well, exactly. And it happens a lot. Research shows that we spend about five to 7% of our lives in flow and don't even recognize it. Yeah. So what I try to do with the workshops I'm doing now and talking probably ad nauseum to my friends about the flow state is we can get in it more than five to 7% if we just understand that A, it exists and B, we have control over it, more control. Um, the music I listen to, you know, I'm a news junkie. You know, I wake up in the morning. Yesterday, I had a coaching session, and I, the first thing I wanted to do when I got in the car, because about 7:55, is turn it on 
Fox or CNN or NPR, whatever. And those are good stations. I want to keep up with the news. That stuff depresses me. (laughs) So before I go to this coaching session, if I'm trying to help this person be the best version of them that I can do, I need to be listening to Pink Floyd or Zeppelin (laughs) or something, you know, the the cool jazz watercolors on Sirius or whatever. I get in the flow state more with music, and most of us do. My office, I've got a great office at home, like you've got a great office here. I've got a nice executive desk. It looks like an office. I don't get in the flow state there. I get in the flow state at the kitchen table. And my wife will often ask, Greg, why are you here? Why are you got all your stuff spread out here? You've got a nice office. So guess what I did yesterday with my wife's permission? I moved the kitchen table. I took the legs off because it was so big I couldn't get it through the hallway. I took the legs off. She allowed me to put the kitchen table. It's not a traditional kitchen table. It's more of a high top. But we put it in my office, and now we have a blank space in our dining room where she's (laughs) got to go buy a new table. But guess what? Last night I was more in the flow because now I've got this non-traditional desk with all my stuff spread out on it. We can get in the flow state if we just understand that it exists and there's ways to get in it. Yeah. So uh, it's common to encounter challenges and setbacks on our, our journey to self, self-improvement. Uh, share some insights and principles, and you've kind of done this already, of the flow state that can help individuals navigate obstacles and maintain their focus in achieving goals. And that, that's kind of the key word, maintaining that focus. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you got to lose focus a little bit, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. But uh, at other times, if you don't stay focused – the task might not get done. Exactly, exactly. And we all have blind spots. Yeah. Um, you know, a friend of mine, Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, who's actually from here in Kentucky, he's out in La Jolla, California right now, uh, Wall Street Journal um, said that the number one executive coach in the United States, probably the world, is Marshall Goldsmith in California, but he's actually from Louisville, Kentucky. Had a chance to work with Marshall years and years ago. Marshall said, and I, he and I were talking about doing executive coaching, he said, Greg, your clients don't need for you to tell them what to do. Your clients need for them, need you to tell them what to stop doing. We sh- we should probably have less to do list and have more to not do list, to stop doing list. Yeah. But very often we don't understand ourselves. We don't seek feedback from other people. How can I be the best version? Three magic questions: What's going well? Where am I getting stuck? If I'm getting stuck, and number three, what do I need to be doing differently moving forward? And if we're open. And, and like Brene Brown, who I love Brene Brown, she talks about being vulnerable as a leader. And as a leader, we carry all this baggage. Uh, and, and, and we've got baggage. And some baggage we got to keep to ourselves. We put this armor on, she talks about. And very often, we got to keep the armor on. But to be a leader, very often, it, it requires us to be vulnerable and take some of that armor off to ask questions like, what am I doing well? Where am I getting stuck if I'm getting stuck? And what do I need to be doing differently moving forward? And to understand what makes me tick. But another part of, we've talked about flow state, we've talked about stress. One part of the flow state that I'd like to mention really quickly, Jim, is the circadian rhythm. And the circadian rhythm. And I've heard r- you talk about this a lot uh, lately when you and I've been together. It's wild. I, I did this and I, I, I Googled, and I forgot what I Googled that I, that I had this interview pop up. But this guy was talking about what we basically need to do to be the best version of ourselves. And I was doing a lot of it. I'll give you my routine when I wake up in the morning. Well, before I go to bed, before I go to bed at night, um, I try my best to thank God for the blessings that I have. And and I'm and again, it's not a religious presentation. I'm not trying to, but but it's research proven 
that if you're if you have gratitude, you're more successful in life. Mm-hmm. So whatever you believe in, uh, I thank God for what the day that day meant for me. So I go to bed with gratitude. Uh, I wake up in the morning and and I used to grab my iPhone and start looking at it as soon as I try not to look at it when I first wake up in the morning. I wake up and again I'm God thank you for the day help put the right people in front of me today that need to bless me and that I need to bless them. But now what I've started doing is going outside for 10 minutes because this video I saw said that the circadian rhythm, if you'll go outside, even on a cloudy day, it doesn't have to be sunny, go outside the first thing and, and basically look at the sun, you know, just hang out, let that, let the sunlight start that circadian rhythm. So I wake up with gratitude. Uh, I want to start drinking a cup of coffee as soon as I wake up now and I drink a glass of water because the dehydration, when your stomach's growling, Again, what I understand from research, that's more of a dehydration than it is being hungry. So I wake up, gratitude, drink a glass of water, go out, and I've got this plastic chair now that I put in the backyard, and I just hang out for 10 minutes to get that circadian rhythm going, and then go back inside. If I've got a, you know interview with someone, with you, Jim, out here with this podcast, then take a shower. I don't drink coffee for 45 minutes because the research shows that if you can wait 45 minutes to an hour to drink your first cup of coffee, it lasts longer. And they're high on coffee. They're like, hey, coffee's great. So I drink coffee on that part of it. That's the first part of my day. But the circadian rhythm is wild stuff. It talks about there are three basic chronotypes. The first chronotype are larks, and we call those early birds. And I'm an early bird. I mean, I wake up in the morning at 5.30. You know what the key of waking up early is? Go to bed early. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I go to bed like, the other night I went to bed, is like 7.45. Now I'm reading a book. Jim, you and I are in a book club together. Yeah. I'm reading The Fifth Assassin. I'm done. you done? Okay. You're, you're a fast reader. I'm on page like 100. That's 412 pages long, dude. So anyway, so last night I'm in the bed is one seven thirty. I think it was 8.30. So I read for 30 minutes or an hour. Leaders are readers, by the way. And I think a lot of people don't start reading is because they think they've got to read 50 pages a night. If you read one page, because when you read, you can get sleepy. I don't care how great of a book it is. So yeah. I typically read about 20 pages, maybe 10, whatever. But so I'm an er- I go to bed early. I wake up early. So circadian rhythm. There are three types of chronotypes. The first one are larks. You know, they're they're the early birds, is what we call them. 14 percent of people in the United States or the world supposedly are the larks. The owls, they peak in the afternoon. 21% of the population tend to be owls. The third birds are a mix of the two. That's the largest percent, 65%. So we've got to understand if, if all, if, if Justin and Jim, you and me, we all three work together and Amy and your other team, your organization, instead of planning a meeting and when it's most convenient, we probably should be planning meetings based on everyone's chronotype. And research shows that for heads-down work, it's best to do it in the morning. For creative work, it's best to do it in the afternoon. And that's how our brains are working. So are you a lark? Are you an owl? Or are you a third bird? But it says that the circadian rhythm, there are three stages over the entire day. There are peaks, troughs, and recovery. Mm -hmm. Peaks are, okay, you know, that's where I'm peaking. And if I'm a lark, early bird, I'm peaking at 7.38 in the morning. I need to do my heads-down work. Owls, it may be late in the afternoon, so they probably need to, you know, maybe do their heads down work at 11 a.m. to about 2 p.m. or whatever. Third birds are a mix. But I look at our education system. Most young people, especially those going through puberty, 
They may be a lark at some point in their life, but most folks before puberty are owls. Well, guess what? Who's designing our school systems? Larks. Yeah. And our school systems start at 7.30 or 8. There's no way these kids are going to be able to do algebra and hard stuff at 7.38 in the morning. I'd see you shaking your head, Justin, over there. I couldn't do that. Now I'm probably, if I'm going to do algebra, which I can't do algebra, I should be doing it at 7 or trying to do it at 7.30. But there's peaks, there's troughs, there's recovery. The peak is high alertness. The trough is when you hit a wall. And then the recovery for most folks around 4.30 or 5 is where we get that second win. We're tired at work at 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. For some reason, we get home, boom, I'm wide awake now. Well, that's the recovery. So the Bermuda Triangle of the day, Jim, from 2 to 4 p.m., never have surgery in the afternoon. The worst part of the afternoon, based on research, and if you've not read the book, When, as in W-H-E-N by Daniel Pink, it talks about health care. There are more mistakes done in surgery from 2 to 4 p.m. than any part of the day. 2.55 is the worst time of the day. So if you're in any business, business, home, whatever, from 2 to 4 p.m., we should be doing uh, mundane tasks, you know, sweeping, cleaning up the shop, doing what we need to do, not doing heads down work from 2 to 4. That's the Bermuda Triangle. And, and, and some cultures during that time frame, they shut down. They shut down. They shut their offices, shut their cafes, uh, take a siesta. Mm, you I know. take one every day. Yeah. So anyhow, if I'm not if I'm not doing a workshop, if I'm not in a meeting, I take a nap most days. And and they in the ideal naps about twenty minutes. And and unfortunately, I take forty five to fifty minute naps. I, when I take a nap, I take a nap. I get in the bed. You know, some people take cat nap, which cat naps are good. With fighter pilots, they're now doing research that the effectiveness of fighter pilots or any pilot goes out the roof if they take a 20-minute nap. But again, our culture is, no, you're not going to take a nap. Well, you've, I, you've, optically, you've got to be careful. You can't walk by and see someone taking a nap in their office or whatever. But could you put a note on your door saying, be back in 15 minutes? You take a 10- to 15-minute nap. There's even research now on what they call a nappuccino. Because a lot of folks say, well, I don't like taking naps because I wake up groggy. Well, drink a cup of coffee before you take a nap because a cup of coffee usually takes about 20 minutes to kick in the caffeine. So take a 20-minute nap, set your alarm for 20 minutes. When you wake up, the caffeine is kicking in and you don't feel groggy. Yeah. That's a nappuccino. <laughs> Justin takes nappuccinos. Um, all right, let, uh, let's wrap this up. How do you recommend integrating flow state, stress management, and personal growth in, an, in a, a holistic approach that empowers us to lead more fulfilling and successful lives? Great question. And, and I'm preaching to Greg Coker. I'm not preaching to anybody out there. I'm looking at me. I need to take more control of my life. I need to be in better shape. Um, I need to be the best version of me. And to do that, I know what I need to do. Why am I not doing it? Well, a habit, uh, there's a great book called Atomic Habits, and Jim, you and I have talked about that. Uh, and I wrote down something uh, this morning that I want to start doing, um, and I won't go into detail about it because it's, 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 a, it's a negative habit that I have, and, and I, need to, I need to stop it. Uh, but what this book on Atomic Habits says is there are three parts to a habit. There is the outcome, there's the process, there's the identity. 
And the outcome, if I want to lose 15 pounds, which that's not the, what I'm talking about this morning, but if I, let's just say that. If I want to lose 15 pounds, that's the outcome. And that's where we normally start. Then there's the process. Well, if I want to lose 15 pounds, then how do I do that? Well, I stop eating so much dessert or stop drinking Diet Pepsi or whatever, drink more water, whatever. And then the identity, well, okay, if I, if I do all this, if I ever do it, which sometimes I never will, then I'll be a healthy person. Well, what this guy says in the Atomic Habits is reverse it. Start with the identity. Tell yourself, I am a healthy person. So guess what? In about 73 days, I've not had a Diet Pepsi because I started, I told myself, I tell myself every day I'm a healthy person. So when I drink that water instead of the Diet Pepsi, which I crave still occasionally, then I just voted for the healthy Greg Coker, the identity. Well, guess what happens if I slip and I have a Diet Pepsi this afternoon? Well, it's a democracy and I just vote against Greg Coker. But, you know, at the end of the week, if I had more votes for Greg Coker identity, then I did it. That's helped me more on achieving my goals than any other thing that I've tried to do to stop drinking Diet Pepsi or whatever. So those are the three parts of it. But to be the best version on stress, flow state, I've got to realize I am the master of my own ship, not to be seen trite, you know, but nobody else is going to call me and say, Greg, did you exercise today? Did you eat better today? And it, again, at 59 years old, um, you, you know, a good offense is a good defense. And my biggest defense is being a healthy person. And I've tried to be the best version of me. If I need the energy to be a leader, I'm going to have to have the energy and be healthy. I talk about the cathedral in my first book. If you don't see yourself as a cathedral, nobody else is. Yeah. And we have so much control over the music we listen to, the the friends we have. You know, show me your net work, and I'll show you your net worth. And and we tend to be the average about three or four of our friends. So the book club you and I are part of, we got 12 guys in there that are some of the most high-quality people I've ever met. Then guess what? If I'm the average of you 12 or other 11, I'm in good shape. But there are certain people in my life, uh, the book Energy Bus, Mm-hmm. You know, it says get the energy vampires out of your life, those that suck energy out of you. You know, we've got more control, and I'm just starting to be a lot more intentional of getting in that flow state, managing my stress, making sure I understand how to be the best version. Yeah. i got a long way to go. Good stuff, though. Good stuff, as always, Greg. Thank you for being on the podcast. My pleasure, Jim. Thanks for having me. Well, you're, you're coming back. <laughs> I want to be back. All right. <laughs> we'll I love you. this. We'll catch you next time. Thank you. As always, a great conversation with Greg Coker, and I'm pretty sure he's going to be a recurring guest on the DeCesare Group podcast. Next week on the DeCesare Group podcast, Dr. Timothy Caboni, president of Western Kentucky University. We're going to discuss the impact WKU has on the regional economy and all the great things happening on the Hill. I hope you'll join us. Thank you for listening to the DeCesare Group podcast. Check out and subscribe our, to our newsletter, Soki Economic Development and Business News, at thedeCesareGroup.com. And like and follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's program is produced by the DeCesare Group, a full-service business consulting, development, and public relations firm. The man behind the scenes is our engineer, Justin J-Dog DeCesare, and our content con- contributors are Brooke Mattingly and Amy DeCesare. Download the DeCesare podcast on your favorite podcasting platform to hear from industry leaders, business owners, and experts about the latest economic development and business activities in South Central Kentucky. I'm Jim DeCesare, and I hope you join us again next time for the DeCesare Group Podcast.